Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Enu Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. The Office of the Special Prosecutor is referring the case to Yoko for continued investigation and further action. The office will be in close collaboration with Yoko and continued collaboration with the FBI. After all the halabalu between the Office of Special Prosecutor and former Sanitation Minister Cecilia Benadapa, it appears the case has come to an end, at least from the OSP side, with a decision to drop all cases against her. We'll hear the full details from Kisi Jabin tonight. Also coming up, New Patriotic Party NPP puts primaries in Ekwapim South on hold following Obiamwa's sudden withdrawal from the race and the MCE's insistence on being allowed on the ballot. And later, on Eyewitness News, as GFA begins search for new Blackstairs coach, government sets to roll out a plan to fix Ghana football. Stay with 97.3 CTF for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Stakeholders in energy sector push for privatization of ECG for improved performance and financial stability. That's in 50 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a host of affiliate stations. We are on citynewsroom.com, we are on YouTube, we are on Facebook, and we are interactive. Join us on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. Send tweets using the hashtag citynewsroom, tweet at umarusanda or at city973 and the world will hear what do you think. Let's start off with the Office of Special Prosecutor now, and Eno has a story for us. The Special Prosecutor, Kisia Jabing, has withdrawn the application seeking confirmation of the seizure and freezing of the funds and bank accounts belonging to the former Sanitation Minister, Cecilia Dapa. Additionally, the Special Prosecutor's Office has dropped the criminal trial initiated against Cecilia Dapa for alleged failure to declare her assets. The decision comes after suspicions of money laundering, which prompted the Special Prosecutor to refer the case to the Economic and Organized Crime Office for further investigation. On 24 July 2023, the office placed Ms. Dapa under arrest on charges of corruption and corruption-related offenses. The office subsequently conducted searches in three residential properties associated with Ms. Dapa and Mr. Osekufo at cantonments, Abilinkpe and Tesano in Accra. The searches, which were carried out over a period of two weeks, led to the discovery of the cash sums of 590,000 United States dollars and 2,730,000 cities. Ms. Dapa and Mr. Osekufo could not readily provide a reasonable explanation as to the sources of the cash sums. Authorized officers of the office seized the discovered cash sums on reasonable grounds that they were suspected tainted property. In accordance with Section 32.1 of the Office of the Special Prosecutor Act 2017, 
Act 959, as it was necessary to exercise the power of seizure to prevent concealment of the cash sums. A special prosecutor, considering it necessary to facilitate the investigations, issued a freezing order against the bank accounts and investments of Ms. Dapa, domiciled at Prudential Bank Limited and Societe General Ghana. Upon the refusal by the High Court to confirm the freezing and seizure orders in August 2023, the office re-seized the cash sums and refroze the bank accounts and investments and applied to the court again for confirmation. In FT 0074-2023, the Special Prosecutor versus Cecilia Abinadapa and Daniel Osekufo. Extensive investigation was conducted in-country involving 20 persons and three state institutions, and especially in the Ashanti region, to establish the financial standing of Ms. Dapa's deceased brother during his lifetime and at the time of his death, since it was alleged that a substantial portion of the customs belonged to Ms. Dapa's deceased brother. From October 2023, investigation became cross-border and transboundary upon the claim by the persons of interest that part of the seized cash sums was transported to Ghana from the United States. For that reason, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, of the United States became involved in a collaborative investigative work with the office on the matter. Investigation has been aimed at determining the sources of the large cash sums associated with Ms. Dapa and Mr. Osekufo. The office has had the benefit of seven months of in-country and four months of collaborative transboundary investigation. Members of the press, on the totality of the gathered evidence and intelligence, it seems to us that the case is largely in the province of suspected money laundering and structuring. By operation of law, the Economic and Organized Crime Office, IOKO, has a specific and direct mandate in respect of suspected cases of money laundering and its attendant activity of structuring. Consequently, the Office of the Special Prosecutor is referring the case to Yoko for continued investigation and further action. The Office will be in close collaboration with Yoko and continued collaboration with the FBI. A little over an hour ago, the office discontinued its application that was pending before the High Court for a confirmation of the seizure and freezing orders in pursuance of the referral of the case to Yoko. The court ordered that the office should return the cash sums and defreeze the account of uh, an investment of Ms. Dapa within 72 hours. The office also discontinued the procedural criminal charge against Ms. Dapa for failure to return forms on declaration of property and income since that was mounted on the original application for confirmation of the seizure and freezing orders. The OSP also refuted claims that the matter should have been referred to Ioko at the onset. Hindsight wisdom is always awesome. Those who are saying that are only doing so with hindsight wisdom. It's because we've had seven months of such extensive investigation to come to the conclusion we've arrived at. You cannot begin a case when you, uh, we cannot begin making conclusions on a case a week or two after commencing investigation. But after piecing together all, all your evidence and all the testimony and all, everything that you have done, 
something should then suggest to you. If after seven months we did not have anything, we will just let it go. But after seven months, I think that we should be commended that we've been able to do such extensive work and have international collaboration as part of this matter. That is to say, we left no stone unturned, and that is what is leading us to this uh, outcome as I just announced. So once again, I'll say it is very nice to have hindsight wisdom, but we did not have the benefit of hindsight wisdom. We have arrived at the present wisdom through hard work and sheer grit. Kesia Jabing is the special prosecutor. So what that means in summary is that the Office of Special Prosecutor, after all the issues that have arisen, the back and forth, the legal knockouts, the house searching, it has said to the former Minister of Sanitation that she may go because it has no mandate to prosecute her on the suspected crimes. We have called the head of IOKO, uh, that's COP Mami Atiwa Dodankwa just before we came on air. She confirmed to us that the case that the OSB talks about has indeed been referred to her office. Today, a letter has been brought to her office. She said her officers will go to the OSP tomorrow, assess all the available documents to the OSP. And she also said to us this is not the first time that the OSP is referring cases uh, to her office, that's the IOKO, if the OSP deems that it is outer, outside their jurisdiction. And she also said that the IOKO also refers cases uh, sometimes to Shraj, sometimes to IOKO, uh, no, no IOKO, to CID, sometimes to the Office of Special Prosecutor. So that's what Mami Atiwa Adudankwa, uh, COP, who is head of the Economic and Organized Crimes Office, IOKO, has said to us. So what happens next? Uh, Martin Kwebu is a private legal practitioner. You're welcome to Eyewitness News here. Good evening, Sandra. Thank you. You were very, very excited when the OSP began the processes to prosecute uh, Abena um, Dapa, Cecilia Abena Dapa. Today, that prosecution has been aborted. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's, it's quite sad. It's sad, but that's the state of the law, you know. Uh, but thank God, you know, even though, yes, initially, initially I was excited, but you know, as the weeks wore on, it, declared, it became clear that we're not getting any headwind in terms of who brought the money. You know, when it comes to corruption, it takes two to tango. But with time, it became clear that we're not getting the source of the money. So the excitement started winning. But I'm also the type that I'm so excited that at least the fact that we found hardcore evidence has given us an opportunity to use it to bash this government, you see, and to hold them accountable. That you see, these are all the things we've always known have been happening. But Kufado kept denying that there's no corruption in his government, etc. So though so far we don't have the hardcore evidence that it is corruption, but if that case still serves a very critical purpose in our governance discourse, we are still using it sufficiently in the public space. So for me, to that extent. We've not lost it all. It's just that, I mean, we are not also getting it uh, as perfect as we wish. Kisia Jabin is an experienced lawyer. The OSP has handled so many cases in the past. How many months does a lawyer of Kisia Jabin's caliber need to be able to determine that this is not within my jurisdiction? Because don't forget all the brouhaha that surrounded this particular case. 
the bravado with which the officers went to her home to go and search, the freezing of the account, the subsequent court order, the dropping of charges and the immediate rearrest and the freezing of the account. All of this was happening. Are you saying to us that there's a possibility that the OSP would have been doing all of this without checking simply to see if it has a mandate to prosecute this person because everything has been dropped. You know, like the charges have been amended, some have been withdrawn, and some portions are still being kept. Everything has been dropped by the OSP completely. At what point should the OSP ought to have known this and did the dropping? Because it, so, it looks like it's been a waste of time. Uh, we've been engaging on a wild goose chase. Hmm, Sandra, you know, um, I I see the point you're making. Theoretically, your point is unassailable. I mean, there's nothing anybody will be able to say if it, in terms of the theory, okay? Because that looks like quite a reasonable time. But when you come to the ground, practically, to be honest, sometimes cor- corruption cases take years. You remember classical example, you know FIFA. Look at the Blatter case. We've always known that FIFA is corrupt. I mean, since from how many decades ago. We always knew that, oh, FIFA is the mafia game, mafia, this, that, 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 Reagan and the rest. You see how many years it took the F- uh, FBI to nail them? So that should tell you. Corruption, tell us, the actors are powerful, eh? extremely powerful. So they will put blocks, impediments on you with every step of the way. So because of that, it's difficult for me to readily agree that seven months has been sufficiently long. No. And so because of that, I'm even thinking that the OSC Act should be amended, especially when it comes to those sections saying that within 60 days, is that section 35, forgotten the number, saying that if you seize assets, then you must go to court within 60 days. That's too uh, short. Too short. So... Sandra, you may be right in certain circumstances. You may also not be right in others. It all depends. But you see, because the OSC doesn't share all the facts, all the information with us, it, it will be difficult to make a definite assessment. But there is also merit in your question. So with this, it means that citizens are complaining that, listen, these cases take too long. So that means that next time, we should have officers on it 24-7. Yes, because it's painful. I see what... I know, I followed social media, people are like, uh-huh, we said that this case will not amount to much. Why did people say it will not amount to much? Because they knew that a Kufado is what? A clearing agent. Uh-huh. So once he's a clearing agent, he would help, and just like he himself publicly said, that oh, he knows that the power will be exonerated, and based on Kufado's uh, previous what, conduct, so he gave people the suspicion that this day, this day, today, was going to come anyway, you see. So you have uh, every right. It's good you've done that. Let's begin. Let's continue to complain because complaints help. Mm-hmm. Complaints help, all right? But we we'll also give a margin of appreciation knowing that corruption is difficult to fight and the actors... Ah, Sandra, you think the person that gave Madame Data or the plenty money is not here? The person is here. We all have our number one suspect. But, you know, under the law, we don't want to go there because we weren't there when the money was We, we thought that person that. is in the grave. He said he's in the grave. Yeah, the person who gave her oh. the money, the, the account, we know about her brother. That, that has come up. 
Oh, but Sandra, that one didn't check out. When the OSP did it later, she refiled for me. You know, initially she said, and even the money, you know, we have various tranches of money, different, different. So you are talking about the initial 800000 So she said 800000 for her brother, 200000 for her husband, right? That 800000 when lawyer William Kusi in Kumasi, uh, representing the brother's widow, prepared to sue, and Madame Data heard about it. You know, later she changed her mind and said, no, the money is for her, it's not for the brother. So that story is changed. So the point is that the money is said that she's not be able to explain. So that is the 800,000 she claimed belongs to her. Now the 590,000, the story she gave, that's the Dallas, and the 2.7, that's what they found subsequently. You know the story she gave about the source of the money, they didn't check out, etc. right? Yeah, so... Those are uh, issues that she will have to contend with for the rest of her life. Because don't forget, even though the OSP is handing over the file, you know, the reports that were issued earlier, that said her responses about the sources of the money didn't check out. Those will indict Madame Data for the rest of her life. She can't come near public office. Nobody will offer her any seat in any public office because of this disgraceful behavior. Hmm? Yeah, so in a way, it's success as we continue to look for the person who paid the money. Uh, we all have our suspects. I'm sure the person also knows that he should just be careful. His days are numbered. Mm, the way there's been skirmishes around him today, there's this trouble. The next day, there's another. You should just know that. Don't uh, mention, don't mention is, any name. Don't mention no, any I, name. I'm not. Oh, Mr. <laughs> okay, I'm a lawyer. I know. <laughs> I'm out loud. Fi- I finally, the level of excitement you had when this case w- was begun or initiated by the OSP, would you and do you have the same level of excitement considering that it's going to Ioko, another independent body? Oh, naturally, the excitement has come down, as I mentioned earlier, that, uh, you know, it can't, it's just natural for it to come down because the case has not been wrapped up. Uh-huh. There's that side of me, but the conscious side of me to remind me, like I said, because of the said blatter case, we can used to point out how long and painstaking the FBI took before they finally grabbed him, etc. So my excitement has come down, but it's not totally down. It's still sufficient for us to keep discussing. You see, I'm even this, uh, doing this discussion with you. Yeah, I'm so happy that, you know, the more we discuss this topic, then the more it sends a chilling signal to the rest of the ministers. And Sandra, please, aren't you guys to join me for us to repeat several times to the OSP that me, the masses are meet every day. They keep telling their lawyer, Tell OSC to search the rest of the ministers. Ah, you think it's only Madame Data who keeps this money? The rest of the ministers. You think the money they've been taking, the money Kennedy Japan says they are stealing and stealing and stashing abroad. It's not everything they stash abroad. Some are in their houses. Those in the polytans, those in the WCs. That's what the masses are saying, that they want all the ministers searched. That's what Mr. Kisir has been doing about this. Now, you know, in September, he got, um, or starting from uh, in September, he got the 249 new staff. Yeah, so there should be enough people to search the ministers. The thing that take back they take and the rest is everything they take abroad. Uh, we are being docile, uh, because the guys tell we meet them and say, ah, lawyer, but uh, Madame Dapai's case, what about the rest of the ministers? What about the rest? We have to search them. But the thing, we can just sit down. We are looking very weak and allowing people who are not, some are our classmates, some are a bit our seniors, etc. Some not even as good as we are. They are occupying public office and stealing, and we are watching. What are we scared of? 
Look, death will come anyway. Look, you can lie in your room and die. So this timid attitude, this docility has to give way. You have to get up. Can you, can, you just start, can you just start rounding up people and start searching them without cause? Oh, the cause is that it's common knowledge that, listen, the way times are hard, the way the uh, public accounts are not adding up, mm, you look at Auditor General's uh, reports, all the more seasons, and you think the public servants can do that alone if the ministers are not involved? You think those managers... So, so, so just based on speculation, you, you start rounding up ministers and searching them that sounds like what happens in the in the undemocratic regimes don't you think ah but you think we have a democratic regime that's gonna look like a democracy to you sander as oh, as as as, as 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 it stands it is and that's why you and i are able to speak freely tonight on the radio oh, they, they, they didn't bring us freedom of speech it's rollins rollins day and that's how he spoke his mind in rollins regime of course he was arrested once for on uh, suspected were treason, etc. But that apart, he was largely able to speak. Uh, a champion, even a champion was a military uh, leader. He, he he could do his demonstration. You know, a good father did demonstration against a champion to resign. He was just referred to that. I said, oh, okay. Then when we also demonstrated against him to resign for corruption, that was just a uh, karma coming back. Yeah, you check our history in the 70s. I read somebody's PhD thesis, and it was there. He demonstrated, let the demonstration that a champion should go. A champion is corrupt. So now, how many over 40 years later, other people would demonstrate against him to also resign for corruption? Yeah, so, Sandra, that is the point. Please, let's not kid ourselves. This our democracy is in shambles. It's in shambles. You talk to people, even people in the military, they are not happy. They're young guys. Share, you have no idea. Don't, don't play. Don't play. It's just by grace. This our democracy is hanging by its teeth. Yeah, because the corruption. And you see, listen, Sandra, I'm not the one seeing it. Even 400 years before Jesus was born, Socrates made this statement that in a democracy, once leaders loot us blind, once leaders loot and loot us, eventually the citizens will get up. And that's the same thing Agodio said a few years ago. And then they sought to guard him because they knew that if they allowed Agodio to continue saying, hey, Arab Spring, Arab Spring, more citizens will rise, right? Yeah, but that's the truth. You read Socrates' Republic, he said it. If you Google, say in a democracy, the way leaders are stealing as blind, one day the citizens will get up, will rise against the uh, leaders, and then there will be anarchy. So that's just what has been coming slowly. Yes. And the himself said it when he was in opposition. He said Mohammed's government was so bad that we had an Arab Spring on our hands. And when he came in, he didn't do anything to stop unemployment, it didn't do much to stop the economic hardship. Rather, even you know, after COVID, it, the World Bank's report shows that 850,000 people uh, have now also fallen into the uh, poverty bracket, increasing the numbers. It didn't do much. So what do you think is coming? Is there other spring that's staring us in the face? Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Yeah, you're welcome. That's uh, Martin Kwebu. He's a lawyer. I was speaking to us there about a decision tonight by the Office of Special Prosecutor to drop all cases or charges that he has brought against Cecilia Binada, former minister for sanitation, and referring that to the Economic and Organized Crimes Office and asking the office to consider investigating it. So what it means is that the OSP has closed its books on Cecilia Dapa. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. The big story tonight, the Office of Special Prosecutor has withdrawn all interest he has in prosecuting Cecilia Abinadapa, uh, former Minister for Sanitation Water Resources, and uh, referred the cases or the case to the Economic and Organized Crimes Office for action. We have called up Mamiti Wadudankwa, the head of IOKO, she has said to us that the communication has been received this afternoon from the OSP. Tomorrow, her officers would go there to vet the documents that the OSP has in its possession. And then based on that, it will take an action. Let's move on to some of the messages you've been sending. Daniel Akpaliok sends a message from Sandeman. He says the hasty dismission of corruption... Uh, dismission? No. The hasty dismissal of corruption-related cases by... The judiciary coupled with the level with which appointees of this government are clothed with immunity against proper investigation by the appropriate quarters clearly indicates that the establishment of the OSP by Nana Kufado was just a grand scheme to find work for the boys and to further waste our hard-earned resources. Zilis Dwayne in London says the office of the special prosecutor is a waste of time to Ghanaians. Dennis Abasiwi in Sandema says, OSP transferring Cecilia Dapa's case to Ioko is going to be shambolic because the director of Ioko, um, let me not continue with that, Misty Kwabna Efriye from Yonkers, New York, USA, says the entire interplay and the release of the OSP reaffirms the Speaker Bagbin's long-held view that the office is merely a duplication of duty and personnel. God bless the venerable Bagbin. Jones Adboyinla says, after all the brouhaha and the public display, the OSP says what? Didn't the OSP know that he didn't have the jurisdiction before going after the woman? Please, the OSP should go tell to tell this to the Marines. As for the case going to Ioko, Ghanaians should just forget about it. Our institutions are all disappointing. Ghanaians are not angry enough. Send your message to 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. And what else do we have? The Coalition of Domestic Election Observers has expressed support for the Electoral Commission's proposal to shift the date of the presidential and parliamentary elections from December 7 to November 7. The EC justified the proposal by stating that it would provide sufficient time for the Commission to reorganize in the event of a runoff and ensure a smooth transition of power. The National Coordinator of Codeo, Albert Ahin, in an interview with City News, urged political parties to embrace the proposal, stressing its potential benefits for all stakeholders. If, for example, in this particular election that we're going to have in 2024, if there's a, a, a runoff, the EC will have to have time to prepare the ground, get materials and this and that. So if there's ample time for them, by way of pushing it back to 7th November, that would be good so that the transition will be very smooth. And it was really something everybody was happy about. You see, what really occurred at that time, and so they could not implement this, was the fact that Parliament at the time, said they never thought, or they didn't think the EC was prepared at that time, that was in 2015, was prepared at that time to be able to carry out that assignment. And so they didn't implement it. But it was something that had been pre-programmed, they had discussed it and everybody was happy about it. And I think Kodeo is also for it, so that 
if there's anything like um, a rerun, everybody will have time. The EC will have time. The parties themselves will have time. It's a good proposal, yes, because it's been in the pipeline for quite a long time. So if now the EC is going back to it, I think the, 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 the party should embrace it. Albert Ahen is National Coordinator of the Coalition of Domestic Election Observers. The Electricity Company of Ghana has clarified that the new value-added tax on electricity consumers beyond the lifeline threshold is not yet being charged. The Finance Ministry directed ECG and NETCO to implement the 15% tax from January 2024. The Trades Union Congress gave the government a seven-day ultimatum to withdraw the VAT on electricity consumption above the lifeline. Speaking on the City Breakfast Show, the managing director of ECG, Samuel Dubik Mahama, says there are legal and operational challenges associated with the implementation of the new tax. Most people treated the letter as saying it's a directive. For NETCO and ECG, we didn't treat it as a directive because this has been the law since 2013. It is ruled out. So for us, we, there are some difficulties, there are some clarities that need to be checked with the law. So I don't think it's, uh, it's time for anybody to panic about it. It's not panic mode. It's not something that but all of these things have to be cleared out. If there's supposed to be an ally that spells it out clearly, fine. Everybody should be rest assured that the conversations are going to be had at the bigger table. All of it come out. And this letter is not a directive, but most will. So, so can we say that as we speak, you've not started collecting it because the clarity you're seeking among other things, on whether this should be collected and the purchase price or usage has not been had yet. So even though the, the, the communication suggested that January this year the collection should start, you, you can confirm that the collection has not started. No, the, the, the collection has not started. Even yesterday I had a chat with my energy minister on the policy directive to see what is happening and the standpoints and all of that. So it's still, it's still, it's still a conversation going on. Addressing concerns by consumers of power in some parts of the country about the erratic power supply, Mr. Dibik Mahama rebutted concerns about the return of Dumso. Ghana is at a point where it's been enjoying the most stable power from its generators. And we have a very, very cordial relationship with all the IPPs now. We suffered a small challenge with the West Africa gas pipeline, but uh, it has been resolved. I think we also saw some notices also coming out that they want to run some maintenance work. So we are trying to make sure that we have the requisite uh, alternative fuel supplies so they can go through that so that there will be no load shedding. The truth is, one thing we've not realized, our country has grown very, very fast. There are certain areas such as Chadu, Oyarifa, uh, Amasama. The speed with which those areas grew, Kaswa, we never envisaged it. Even East Ligon and most of the areas. So whenever everybody is home, the transformers are overloaded. Please, if you're suffering such a situation, get to the nearest ECG office and report it. That means we need to start doing intensification exercises. And the thing is, if it starts around 5, the, the peak period for ECG for power is from 5 to 10 p.m. If it starts around that time and... It will, we will try to bring it back, but it will go off. We will try to bring it back, but it will go off because of the overload. Until a few more transformers and the low-voltage network is, is what stabilized properly or is intensified. So please, it is not Doomsaw. The Doomsaw is not back. It's not, I don't even, let's not even call, let's not even use that word. Let's just, we are having localized faults because 
the rates at which our transformers have been overloaded is overwhelming. Because on our records, we can have that we have about 30 homes to a transformer. You get there and it's about 40. Samuel Dubik Mahama is the managing director of the electricity company of Ghana. It's Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. Now, the New Patriotic Party has planned Saturday for parliamentary primaries in constituencies that it has sitting MPs. One such constituency is Equapim South, where uh, Minister of State at the Ministry of Local Government, General Obi Amwa, is the incumbent MP. He has been in the contest until two days ago when he announced that he's no more interested in running. That has left the party in a state of confusion on how to proceed because prior to Tuesday, the party had disqualified the municipal chief executive for the area who had intended to go against Obi Amwa, but who had not resigned his position as MCE as the party law or the party rules dictated. Now that Obi is not going to be on the ballot, the MCE is asking, Frank Edu, that's his name, that he be put on the ballot. We are told that the party has now put on hold that particular election. Let's speak to NS Owusu Jesse. He's a Kuyapim South constituency secretary of the party. Um, NS, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. Um, so there was a petition that was sent to the party office, and which petition is the reason that this decision has been taken? As a constituency, what do you make of all the issues coming up and the final decision by the party now? For me, I think the decision by the party is in the right direction. Looking at the entire situation, the guideline was uh, came in or uh, the when National uh, Executive Council decided to bring that guideline, it was meant to protect the sitting MP. So once the sitting MP is not contesting, the party thinks that it's in the best interest to consider or give a fair hearing to the municipal chief executive. And I think the party has taken the right decision. Now, is it supposed to be protecting the MP alone or protecting all persons in the contest? Because even if uh, OB is not going, there are other persons in the contest and they are going to go against a mighty MCE. Is that not problematic for them too? Oh, I think if you read the reason behind the guideline, it was meant to protect certain MCE. And there are other constituencies, if you take Okre, where Honorable Dambochi is uh, the uh, MP for the constituency. Once the MP is not contesting, the municipal chief executive was allowed to contest, including other areas. So if you look at the guideline, it was meant to protect city MPs, but not the other aspirants. What is your understanding of the real issues behind the scenes? Is that, Was there a plan by OB which is now being uh, thwarted by the, by, the, by the new patriotic party? In fact, that one there, I can't, I can't speak. What I know is that the MP came to a uh, farm. We went for vetting at Kofodia. And uh, we were all expecting him to contest. And this week he brought a letter that he wants to withdraw from the contest. And that one, I don't know. Unless maybe we interview him to know the reason. What is your relationship as party executive with your incumbent MP? Oh, we have very, very good relationship with All of you? Almost, all of us, all of us. We have good relationship with our own. How about the regional executives? 
Were you guys supporting his rerun or his uh, running or what was the word? Um, his decision to run again until he withdrew? Yes, please. Can you win the seat without him in the on the ballot? Yes, that's what the concern today. Any of the aspirants can win. It's a traditional and we are sure of that. Even though we know that he is supposed to have blessed someone and he may not necessarily be in the good books of the MCE. Is he likely to bless and campaign for the MCE? And if he fails to do that, if the MCE eventually wins, can you still win the seat? Yes, please. So you have no difficulty with him exiting, do you? No, please. As for the concerns, whoever wins the family will win the general election. That one I can assure the entire party. So you have any idea what is going to happen next? Um, is there going to be a hearing before a decision is taken or there's going to be the printing of new ballot papers that would include uh, your MCE? No, that one I can't speak to it. It's only the general secretary who can give it directly. But it means that you are not going to vote this weekend? Yeah, we are not voting this Saturday. In fact, we, we, we had prepared for this Saturday and it has come as a shock to us, but I think, personally, I believe it's in the right direction for the party. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you. That's NS Owusu Jesse. He's a Kapem South Consensus Secretary of the New Patriotic Party. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Eno has some other stories for us. The president of the Ghana Journalists Association, Albert Kwabana Jumfor, is urging media houses and journalists to implement a media blackout on the Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture Development and Member of Parliament for Awutu Senya East, Mavis Hawakumsen. This appeal comes in response to the police's failure to arrest individuals who physically assaulted David Kobana, a journalist with Cape FM in the central region, during the NPP's parliamentary aspirant vetting. Albert Kwabanajum for expressed concern over the NPP and the police's silence on the matter, prompting the call for a media blackout. Considering the unabated cases of attacks against journalists and other media practitioners in recent times, following the intel we had picked last year regarding plots by some political actors to attack journalists and other media practitioners severely and rapidly this year as a strategy to put fear in media practitioners during the election year. Having consulted with our partner institutions, including GIBA and PREPAC, as well as senior members of the association and heads of media institutions, the Ghana Journalist Association hereby calls as follows. One, all media houses must give total media blackouts to Mavis our country and stay away from her as MP, Minister of State, or any other public capacity and position she may hold. This is because we believe there are attacks on reasonable and evil minded people around the MP who pose serious threats to the lives of journalists and other media practitioners. I must emphasize that we have nothing against the person of the MP, but we are scared of people around there. That was the president of the Ghana Journalists Association, Albert Kwabana-Jumfo. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. The Black Stars, uh, disappointing showing at the AFCON has resulted in a number of um, issues. The coach has been fired. 
We are told the GFA is currently looking for a new head coach for the Ghana Black Stars. While that is happening, government is also talking about fixing Ghana football. There's a statement that has been issued uh, from the Youth and Sports Ministry representing government. And what's the statement saying? So the statement says that Monday, January 22, 2024, stands as a solemn and sad chapter in our football history as the Black Stars exited the 2023 African competition in Cote d'Ivoire by concluding their journey in the competition. The Ministry of Youth and Sports profoundly shares the disappointment and devastation echoing through the hearts of millions of Ghanaians and followers of Ghana football, both home and abroad. Over the years, the Ministry, especially under the administration of the current Current government wholeheartedly supported our national teams, the Black Stars in particular. We created a conducive and enabling environment, invested in the development of the team, and introduced performance-based reward systems. The government, recognizing the importance of sports at the grassroots level, also invested and continues to invest significantly in infrastructure and other logistics to nurture and develop young sporting and footballing talents. Regrettably, the recent and continued poor performance of the Black Stars highlights fundamental, structural and systemic deficiencies in our football ecosystem and journey. This is such that despite our unwavering support and considerable investment leaving no stone unturned, the team has not delivered and results do not commensurate with efforts and resources invested. This clearly points to the urgent need for a comprehensive diagnosis and restructuring of Ghana football to align with our aspirations in football and beyond. In the coming days, the ministry, in consultation with national team stakeholders, will announce a strategic plan to identify the causes and the roadmap towards the revival of the Black Stars. We recognize the urgent necessity to address the underlying issues and are poised to embrace holistic approach towards rebuilding and reviving our football. This is crucial and pertinent not only for the Black Stars and the followers of Ghana football, but also for every aspiring young Ghanaian footballer. Interesting. Godfrey Akotobuafo is on the City Breakfast Show. Uh, he has had time to criticize Ghana football and how unserious we have been in managing that particular sector. We've called him up tonight to ask him uh, what he makes of the GFA, the Ministry of um, Sports uh, statement that he has just issued. Godfrey, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, thank you very much, Umar. So the ministry has expressed disappointment in the performance. That's no news. We all know that. But the ministry has said that it has invested heavily in Ghana football or in sports in general. And it's saddening to see that there are no fruits being born or it's not bearing fruits. Do you agree that the sector has been has seen massive investment that would require the 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 bearing of fruits as we were expecting at Cote d'Ivoire? Well, I think the reference to investment was specifically to the Black Stars and not to football in general in the country because it cannot be that the ministry was referring to a significant investment in football in general in the country. Infrastructure is poor, coaching is poor, there's no holistic plan. All the money has gone towards caring for the Black Stars qualifiers, trips, Basically, just that. So I find it a bit strange that um, a statement would emerge that a significant amount of money have been spent on, in, you know, on the general state of the game in the country. That so, so, to, so, so to be fair, they said that over the years, yeah. the ministry um, 
invested or wholeheartedly supported our national yeah. teams. Exactly. But then they said the exactly. Black Stars in particular. So maybe yeah. they, uh, they say they've given maybe 100, but 90 perhaps goes to the Black Stars. Exactly, which, which underlines the problem that um, I've always spoken about. The fact that the government has always looked at the Black Stars as Ghana football and nothing else. Meanwhile, a lot of things need to happen before the Black Stars succeed. And in the statement that has been released, at least there is a tacit admission or an explicit admission of sorts that all is not right with the game and that perhaps they need to do a lot more than they have done at the very basic level to get the game to the level where the Black Stars can succeed. And I am surprised that it has taken back-to-back first-round exits at the AFCON to get the government to finally listen to people. Because, Umaru, to be honest, what has not been said in the past five or six years about the nature of football? In fact, some of the things that the government mentions that it is going to do undertake a diagnosis, if I am being accurate. That is what the government, the statement said, that it is going to undertake a diagnosis of what the problem with stakeholders. Umaru, we've, how long ago was the Jarefa Commission report? Not very long ago. We've had a document as well that dealt with basically how the national teams should run. None of those documents have been implemented. So it's not as if the ministry is now going to ask questions about, oh, what is wrong? What can be done? There have, those questions have been asked for several years, and those questions have been answered for several years. It has just been the lack of will by the main actors, that is the ministry, its uh, technical directors, the National Sports Authority, to, uh, to, 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 to put in place a plan that is actionable for these things to work. Most of the time, Umaru, the problem is this. The, 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 the ministry engages in short-termism because they'll tell you, well, we have four years or eight years to carry out an agenda. The only way you can mark success is at tournaments, hence the significant investment in the national team. But it has been said several times that the only way we can actually succeed is with a solid foundation. We've spent the last decade not doing that, and we are paying the price for it. So again, like I said, it's interesting that the ministry will put out a statement that says, we are now going to consult. I don't think that's necessary. We've done a lot of consultation. The documents are there. Refer to it and act. Some of them are very recent. These are not 20-year-old documents, Mark. Some of the documents are, are old as two years old. Some of them are three years old. Most of these reviews have been done in the past five years. So what has changed? Nothing. The government does not need to sit down to ask stakeholders anything. In fact, I would think that would be a waste of money. Just take the documents and enforce some of the salient aspects of those documents, and we can make progress. So you, you believe that this exercise, and we don't know what nature is going to take. We don't know if it will go the Jamefer or a so commissioner way, or they are just going to move around taking views. You are saying that to begin with, go to the Jamefer report and don't waste everybody's time going back to look for what you already have. Umaru, when we went out of the last AFCON, the last one that was held recently, not this one, the last one that was held, there was a full parliamentary probe. There's a report. The captain of the national team, Andrea Ayu, appeared before that committee. The minister appeared before that committee. All kinds of persons appeared before that committee. Omaru, that is not two years. That is less than two years ago. Recommendations were made by the Parliamentary Sports Committee on Sports. From those hearings, what happened? What diagnosis did they make? What recommendations did they make? Nobody has acted on those things. So I, I, am, I, I, will, be, I will be 
I, I am interested in seeing what form this diagnosis takes, which stakeholders are being invited again, over which period, for them to go open, you know, to go into conclave and come out with solutions. I think it's not really necessary. What needs to be done is known by everybody, which is why over the past five years, most people with knowledge on the matter have explained and have preferred solutions as to how things can be done. So I think what the ministry can do is to take a cue from these documents that are available, to take a cue from the suggestions from various stakeholders who have spoken on this matters over the past couple of years and just act on them. They don't need too much help. The help has already been given over the years. There is a view from some quarters that to fix Ghana football, we need to burn it down to the ground and start afresh like the Phoenix does. But it <laughs> appears that's not what we're going to see. The GFA is already on a hunt for a new coach to put on top of the very mess we are complaining about. Do you think that looking for a new coach should be the priority now or the GFA's, the ministry's approach should be the priority or both can be... Uh, considered, or we should shut it down completely and start afresh? Well, I think both can be done at the same time. Of course, the team cannot be left without a coach because the team has games. The team has to play Argentina and uh, I think and China, if I'm not mistaken, in March. That's two and a half months away. Then in June, they have um, World Cup qualifiers. So there's a significant level of activity for the national team. So you cannot leave them um, as they are. So of course, a coach has to be brought in. But I think that the government's role in all this is collaborate more extensively with the Ghana Football Association in asking questions. What kind of coach are you bringing? Why are you bringing this kind of coach? What exactly is the long-term plan for bringing in this kind of person? Have those kinds of conversations. It's not just about, can he deliver results in a World Cup qualifier? Can he help us beat Argentina in March? Normally, those are the kinds of questions we are looking at. I think the questions have to be a bit more deeper and a bit more salient. I don't believe in the burning down completely because it brings too much trouble. And at the moment, we have not shown the capacity to burn it down and rebuild it properly. Who is going to rebuild it? The same people who have shown a lack of capacity to even maintain it at the top. So why are we going to trust them with breaking it down and building it again? I don't think that is a solution. But what the government needs to do at this point, Umara, I think, is to find a cohesive working relationship and enforce its strength. You see, the problem is this. The government has convinced itself that its only role is to pay for the national team. Hence, the statement that you read where the government says that over the years, it has spent a considerable amount of money investing in the success of the Black Stars, and this has not been repaid. That is what the government has considered investing. That is not it. The government has a lot more, a, a bigger role to play in what happens with school sports. What is the collaboration like? The government does not, has not been able to integrate the link between the Ghana Football Association and its own assigns. That is, the Ministry of Education, Ghana Education Service, and their school sports directory. Those are the kinds of conversations that need to happen if we are to make progress. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Godfrey Akoto Boafo is in the football sector in Ghana Football Administration and also uh, one of the panelists on the City Breakfast Show. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. And who has some other stories before we go to Point Blank? And on Point Blank, my guest is one of the persons hoping to remove a sitting NPP MP and become parliamentary candidate. We'll talk to him when we come back in a bit. But before then, Eno. 
The National House of Chiefs has reiterated its call for the government to take comprehensive measures to address the issue of illegal mining. The House urged the need for a non-political approach and asked all stakeholders to be involved in the fight against illegal mining. The president of the National House of Chiefs, Ojeho Hoyao Jebi II, at a meeting in Kumasi where Officials from the Environmental Protection Agency were invited to discuss finding a lasting solution to the problem, assure that chiefs will play their roles in addressing illegal mining in Ghana. Illegal mining has resulted in environmental degradation, including deforestation, soil erosion, pollution of water bodies and rivers, contamination of soils and underground water, among others. Illegal miners also use toxic chemicals and heavy metals, including cyanide, mercury, sulfuric acid, and lead, with resultant negative effects on the health and health of others. Executive Directors of EPA, Minerals Commission Water Resources, Forestry Commission, Nananum, the phenomenon of illegal mining in Ghana is no more an asset problem. It is now a vast, complex, and motivated challenge. And it is assuming a growing national character with, tremend- with tremendous and negative impacts on the environment. Public health, social, and economic life that I'm saying is contributing to climate change. He had President of the National House of Chiefs, Ojeho Hoyao Jebi II. Away from that, Vice President of Imani Africa, Kofi Bentel, is urging Parliament to conduct a thorough probe into the Akusumbu Dam spillage. The Volta River Authority began the controlled water spillage from the Akusumbu and Pong Dams in September last year due to a consistent rise in the inflow pattern and water level of the dams. This resulted in thousands of people being displaced and properties being lost. Speaking at the Africa Leadership Initiative West Africa Forum on Building Resilience and Socioeconomic Response to Natural Disasters, Mr. Bentel emphasized the need for a thorough examination of the spillage incident to prevent similar occurrences in the future. VRA itself has better systems than the Meteor system by which it can check. So if a dam fills over many days and there are significant warning systems and there are multiple institutions and it's a Volta River authority in law, that means a lot. It's not a board, it's not a commission, it's an authority. What it means is that it actually can take steps and not listen to anybody. We need to ask questions about why this happened and get to the bottom of why it happened because if the best of our best has failed and we live in a country that is expecting at any time a major earthquake, we've been getting tremors here and there. If our best has failed, what's going on with the rest? I mean, if the dam broke, there will be worse problems, all right? But should we ever get to the point where we have to choose between saving a dam or risking human lives? I think we ought to ask questions, and I think Parliament should get into this and get answers for our own sake. You hear the Vice President of Imani Africa, Kofi Bentel. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Innocent. Let's settle for the details. The executive director of the Africa Center for Energy Policy, Benjamin Boache, is calling for the privatization of the electricity company of Ghana. His urgency stems from the persistent challenge of under-recoveries in the energy sector, stressing that the current lack of attention is detrimental to the industry. According to him, the best way to address the challenges in the energy sector is to return to the previously agreed-upon roadmap for privatizing ECG, placing it under the control of the private sector while maintaining governmental regulatory oversight. We are doing politics and not business. Power is business. We need to get people to be doing the business side of things and isolated from the politics. But in our country, the politics is always ahead of the business. And that is what is actually happening. And we've been crying about these things for the past decade. But how the energy sector ought to be managed so that power sold can be recovered in revenues. And everybody along the value chain is paid for it. Government has intervened and participated in that space to the extent that people can even consume power for free. And because it is government, they don't care whether they pay or not. And we are not collecting enough revenue. The last time I checked, the under-recoveries are above 70% now. So what it means is that when power has been generated and sold, 70% of the money cannot be gotten back. We have to go back to the roadmap that we set up in 2014, which we all agreed that we need to allow ECG to be controlled by the private sector so that government can regulate. You heard the executive director of the Africa Center for Energy Policy, Benjamin Boache. President Okufuado is urging African leaders to commit to realizing the dream of a single market for Africa to enhance economic expansion. Emphasizing Africa's abundant natural and human resources, he envisions turning the continent into a global powerhouse. President Okufuado also revealed plans to facilitate intra-Africa trade by allowing nationals from other African countries to travel visa-free to Ghana before the end of his term. He made these remarks marks at the Africa Prosperity Dialogues 2024 under the theme Delivering Prosperity in Africa, Produce, Add Value, Trade. I congratulate the organizers, the Africa Prosperity Network and its founder for their vision and their ability to attract this formidable lineup of strategic partners should leave no one in doubt that this is a project that requires all the support we can muster. What the Africa Prosperity Dialogues have provided is a unique platform dedicated to mobilizing Africa's energetic private sector to own and drive the fulfillment of the promises that the AFCFTA presents. The theme for this year's dialogues speak directly what we have to do if we are to make the AFCFTA meaningful. Without the capacity to industrialize, add value to our raw material, and invest to build the social, digital, economic, and physical infrastructure. You heard President Akufuado, now the Secretary General of the African Continental Free Trade Area, Wankele Mene, also indicated that steps are being taken to create a single market and currency for the continent. As the chairman has said before me, it is not governments that trade, it is the private sector that trades. And that is why we have developed a private sector strategy, identifying uh, uh, sectors such as agriculture, 
the automotive sector, pharmaceuticals, transport and logistics, which combine, create and establish a market of $150 billion for investing in the value chains that the Vice President of the African Development Bank alluded to earlier. We recognize, of course, that many challenges uh, remain. That is why the partnerships that we have developed with the Africa Business Council, with the African Development Bank, with Africa Bank, to ensure that we mobilize the necessary resources so that this dream does indeed become a reality. Wam Kilimene is the Secretary General of the AFCFTA Secretariat. Now, the Ghana Revenue Authority has announced a shift towards a more collaborative and customer-centered tax collection approach for the year. Dr. Amishadai Uswamwa, the Commissioner General of GRA, emphasizes the importance of the strategy to enhance voluntary tax compliance after using task force in its revenue mobilization exercise in the past. In the... Uh, summary of the strategy for the last three years we had people technology and service and so last year and the year before we had concentrated on the technology and you all have seen some of a lot of the technological changes and the digitalization that has taken place in January so we are moving strongly to the third part of our uh, um, strategic journey and that is service the notion is that GRE staff are uh, um, people who come to you and they don't consider your some sympathize or empathize with you. And we want to emphasize that from this year going, we are focusing on customer experience so that we want the taxpayer to feel like he is a customer and must be treated as a customer as you will find in any other service industry. Dr. Amishadai Uswamwa is the Commissioner General of the Ghana Revenue Authority. That's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. The Business News on Eyewitness News is brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Enosafo. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. This uh, Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we are on the New Patriotic Party's parliamentary primaries. Our focus tonight is in the eastern region, specifically the Ibuakwa North constituency. The NPP has a sitting MP there. What that means, there will be primaries this weekend on Saturday. Five persons are going including the sitting MP. One of the persons contesting, seeking to replace the MP, is a government spokesperson on security issues, Pargrave Bwachi Dankwa. He's joined me in studio. Pargrave, you're welcome. Thank you very much, how, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And happy new year to you. Happy new year to you too. I want us to talk about your primary. But I also want to talk small about security. Are we safe, <laughs> are we safe as a country? Has? We're very safe. We're yeah. very safe. Under the leadership of President Anadankwe Kufuado and internal security managed by the IGP, Dr. George Kufudampari. We are very safe. So we shouldn't be worried about all the you things should, that are happening. You should not be worried at all. You should not be worried at all. No problem. Let's let's talk about politics. 
Um, is this your first attempt at Parliament? This is my first attempt tomorrow, Sandra, and um, it's my host and win um, because I think that the good people of Achimibuakwa North constituency have gotten to a stage. A constituency was formed in 2004, it's 20 years old, got into a stage where they need a young, vibrant, innovative, available, faithful, teachable, enthusiastic, a very relational person who can be able to explore the opportunities for the young people. It's a constituency that is extremely an agrarian constituency. The people in the constituents are involved in farming. It's a cocoa place. And so um, people do farming for sustenance. But one of the goals is to ensure that we do farming on a commercial basis where we're going to engage uh, the cocoa farmers and um, in the next few years, I'll be bringing you cocoa paste from mm. a work on of constituency. I would, cocoa I would like that. From I, a work on of constituency. I, I would like that. Um, cocoa like chocolates that. from a work on of constituency. Because I I've like begun that. some conversations with some investors in Israel where I lived and worked for about three years when okay. I was involved in full time Christian missions. And the goal is that um, after Easter, which is Bar Mitzvah, they would come over to engage the people in my constituency. And mm. also, we have a very um, large scale of forest, which is why the king of Ibuakwa is called the Kwabi which is the queen of the forest. That's what Sajifu Amwito for Penning. Okay. And um, the goal is to start a game reserve in the constituency, particularly um, within the environs of Nobi and Bediasi and Obodasi. Mm. And the game reserve would have the five big animals and um, have a canopy walk. And the I've, big uh, five. The big five. And okay. I've suggested that when people go to Kwewu for Easter, when they descend and they get to Bonsu, then they can come to a of constituency and then have some more tourist attraction. I'll let you explain to me what your constituency is and more on what you plan to roll out. Uh, but first of all, who is Palgrave? So, Palgrave Bwachidankwa is a Christian. He is um, a committed gentleman of the Lord. He has been a missionary for 23 years from age 17. Wow. Um, commissioned as a missionary with the Baptist um, Convention. Worked in over 78 countries. Um, worked with a mission organization. And um, we use the avenue of um, building boreholes, the avenue of developmental work like schools, hospitals, humanitarian services to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are you a pastor i am a missionary okay is that the same as pastor forgive me well a pastor is one who has a responsibility of a congregation okay um, a missionary is one who has a responsibility of a community so you do evangelism, we do evangelism or you go and do projects we do evangelism so we do evangelism we do discipleship we we do soul winning and um, okay. we try to grow the people in christ and you still do that not in the manner in which I used to, okay. because I used to work with a mission-based organization, and that was the focal point. Okay. And that was what I did for 23 years. In now, 78 countries? In 78 countries. Such as which countries? Oh, so um, all of Africa, every okay. single country in Africa, wow. um, North America, Middle East, um, Asia, um, Europe, and UK. Wow. So why didn't you just become a pastor, have a big church? And, I, I think and that God has, the... God has specific callings for people. And um, in God's unique ability and calling, God enables that one would become a part of an entire governance system, an entire governance structure. And I think that there's no higher calling in, in addition to the calling that God has given to you to serve the good people of your community and your constituency. So what's your profession? I'm a journalist. What's your profession? If I ask you, what's your profession? What so you I, th I think that um, from my first degree at the University of Ghana, my second degree... Your first degree in, was in what? In sociology and political science. Okay. My second degree in theology. Uh, I'm a theologian, basically. Okay. Okay. And uh, my other degrees that are following is a master's in conflict, peace, and security from Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Center. Okay. I'm currently finishing my PhD. Um, I graduate in April with a business um, leadership. 
um, from Ipach in France, but um, overseen by Nobel International Business School in Ghana. So if you would um, want to state, because of the opportunity President Nana Dankwekufodo has given to me as a spokesperson on governance and security, I would say that my profession is a government spokesperson. I mean, so my area of focus is leadership, my area of focus is governance, and my area of focus is security, underpinned with um, very strong values of theology. I see. When did you decide to do politics? Is it something from your youthful days in school or something you discovered later on the way? Or when you went to, say, Rwanda or maybe you went to Kigali or was it Uganda, you noticed that <laughs> Africa needs saving. So let me go back home and save my Interesting people. you mentioned those countries. But um, I think that for me, coming from my political family, I mean, my my grand-uncle um, is Aaron Ofriata, who was Speaker of Parliament in the then CPP government under okay. um and then also um, my uncle is the president of the Republic of Ghana. Um, my the current president the current is your president uncle. Is my uncle, my mm-hmm. mother's um, first cousin. Okay. Um, my family is uh, basically a public-oriented family. So JB, your name is my name is Paul Grave Wachidankwa. So, so JB, JB Dankwa, the one we have as part of the Big Six, um, is my grand uncle. Okay. Yes, and then um, JB Dankwa Edu, who mm-hmm. was um, the, the former MP for your for, constituency, for my constituency, who died on the February 9th, twenty sixteen. Um, unfortunately, is my uncle as okay. well. So, okay. um, so I come from that family. It's a political family. I see. Right up in University of Ghana, I think I was involved in student student activism. Mm-hmm. I was um, heavily involved in the Mobara struggle. Um, used to write articles. Used to be on um, Radio Universe. Um, used to do news politics, and I recall. In the in the in the years past, when I I manuscript with the Honourable Okujato Blackwa at the time, and also um, assisted in his campaign as um, the coordinator for him to become Duke's president, worked with Samia Wuku when we were students at the University of Ghana, um, Toy Singena, who is now Horseman Shoes, and so I think that um, politics has been something that we have been involved in from the very beginning. Did I hear you say you campaign for Blackwa, you campaign against Blackwa? Which one? That was his campaign coordinator <laughs> at the time at, at, at the University of. At the time, was he not NDC and you? I, I don't think. I don't think that at the time Sami had any colorization in terms okay. of politics. I mean, okay. because at the time when we were students um, involved in local student politics, we didn't have assets now in mm-hmm. terms of colorization. Okay. So, Nukes at the time was a very unique brand. Let's talk about the thing your party calls nurturing the constituency. How have you nurtured your constituency? This is how I used to um, state it. It takes five years for the Chinese bamboo tree to grow up. You need to water it every single day, every single week, every single month. And then in five years, you begin to see shoots coming up. In nurturing of constituency, um, so nurturing comes in two forms. The first is that my family has extensively nurtured the constituency. And so when you get to Otafu and you mention Bwachedankwa, when you get to Otafu, you mention Chumberima, when you get to Otafu and you mention Ochami Boom, when you get to Otafu and you mention Erono Furiata, in Utafu, you mention Dr. Joe Furiata, when you get to Nobi and you mention Ofuriata, you get to see the farmlands that belongs to my family. That's one big nurturing. I mean, for a young man who is 40 years old, I, I do not know how much nurturing train that can be done mm-hmm. um, within the period of the opportunity that has been given unto me. But obviously, I stand on the foundations of the nurturing that has been done over the years. But in my own estate and in my own right, the constituents have benefited and have been a blessing to them. Um, I've done two boreholes. Um, they are 75% completion. 
at Fofia in Otafu, and then I've done a second borehole at Ingenisin, and these are mechanized borehole. Um, it comes through my philanthropic works and the people that have assisted me over the years. There are people that we've given scholarships on the Bwachidankwa Scholarship Scheme, who are in Ghana Telecom, as I speak to you now, who are also studying to be able to advance their life. There are people that we have assisted to go to All Nations University. There are people that we are assisting with jobs, because my constituency is a very young constituency. It's 20 years old, young people who are finished university, who do not have an opportunity to work. And which is why for me, setting up a game reserve is going to be a one-stop shop because then you have a lot more people who would get a lot more work and be given a lot more opportunities. So the goal is to turn the constituency into an entrepreneurial constituency so young people can have an opportunity and young people can have a desire to live in the constituency and young people can have a drive and a future. You have mentioned Kwaibibrim. I know there's Kwaibibrim district. Is that what your constituency is located in or is different? No, I think that should be very different. Okay. I mean, so because you, dist- you my, mentioned Kwaibibrim. So my, thought- my district is, um, so Kukran to me is the, the, is capital. the district capital. I see. Now you talk about game reserve. So you want that place to be a tourist destination. If anyone came to Ghana and wanted to see the big five, there's a lion, the cheetah and those animals, they would come to your place. Why would they leave Shy Hills in Accra, leave Achimota in Accra and come all the way though? Well, I think that um, tourism is diverse and there are people who would drive from Accra and go to Mali to see the elephants. Mm-hmm. And so it's what you're able to put within the environment, which is why the conversation has already begun. I mean, I've already begun um, conversations with some key investors in Australia who are ready to bring in the animals. I've already begun conversations with people in South Africa as well who are ready to bring in the animals. And we already know that there is an almost side attraction in Kwewu every single and so if you're able to market it very well, once we are done with the Kwewu or Kwewu and people are descending from the Kwewu mountains, then they just need to drive through a Bwakonov constituency and then enjoy the beauty of the land, enjoy the canopy walks. For those who don't animals. know much about your constituency, what are the major towns you have in there? So I have Fisher. It's one of the first um, towns that you see when you're entering into my constituency. I have Abuabo, I have Nginesin, which is just by the side of the road. Then when you enter through Bonsu to the right-hand side of Lendador, you get to Etukrom. Then when you get to Etukrom, you go to Tontro, to draw it at New Tafo, then you just drive straight. Then you go to Nobi Bayira, but Nobi Bayira um, community is a people of farmers, agrarian community. Abudase, um, which is also an agrarian community, I have a Bediase, which is also a farming land. Bosodumase, I have um, Abrim Ponsu. I have Amiabin, I have Osiem. Osiem is a town that you see immediately after it's a chrome. Okay. And then um, I have Sokode Jasu, which is also in Krokon to me. It's just a town next to it. And then I have New Tafu, and then I have Old Tafu. So 16 significant electoral areas I in see. my constituency. And uh, you're going against a city member of parliament. That's going to be tough, isn't it? Why not? I think that um, the, the New Patriotic Party gives everyone an opportunity to avert themselves and bring in leadership. I think that this has been one of the most keenly contested elections and the constituents have attested to it. We are five people that are contesting and I think that um, we're giving everyone um, an opportunity to show off their leadership abilities. I am confident that the 524 and 23 delegates that we are engaging Every single person would definitely have a number um, being voted for, but I would, rem- I would, I would emerge victorious in the election. What is your MP not doing well that you want to fix in your party and in your constituency? Uh, Mara, I don't think that that would be a focus of my of my discussion here. I mean, I I think that um, the focus is to throw a lot more light on what the future holds for the young people. Mm. Because there's a lot of work that I'm going to inherit. But how is your party faring in the constituency, though? Is it a, is it a place that? you can lose to the NDC? 
so I've heard those thoughts, but this is how I like to put it. It's, it's, it's a stronghold of the New Patriotic Party, um, succinctly so. And also to state that it was a constituency that was crafted out of Ebuaka Central um, in 2004. Mm-hmm. So it's a 20-year-old constituency. And um, J.B. Dankwedu became the MP. Professor Mwakun became an MP. And J.B. Dankwedu came back again to become an MP. And Gete Chumampofo, who is the current um, MP, mm-hmm. is sitting on. So it's a very young um, constituency. It's been a stronghold of the new patriotic party since 1992. The dynamics are, however, that um, over the successive elections, especially from the 2016 elections, um, my uncle, Dr. J.B. Dankwedu, died February 6th. And so there was a by-election that was held. He left a margin of about 9,000. Mm-hmm. And um, leading up into the 2016 election, which is 10 months mm-hmm. into the 2016 election, the margin dropped to about 6,000. So that's we lost about 3,000. Okay. And then we went into the 2020 general election, and the margin dropped significantly again to about 1,008. And, and so that so was a gap. That, that's a gap, exactly. 1,008. 1,008. In a Kufuado's Ebuakwa not. In a Kufuado's Ebuakwa. That conscience is slipping, then, if you're not careful. You may end up losing it to NDC, and that would be a big disaster. <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't think that the new So, so that's where you come in, and you, want, you want to work hard. And yeah, I think that a game changer is important, and people like change, and people like fresh blood, people like innovative people, people like leaders, people like people that can serve. I'm a servant at heart, mm-hmm. and I, I want to really put up myself to serve the good people of Achimibuakwa North constituency. I want to grow them. I want to see that they make the best of their lives with the opportunities that are given unto them. And I think that there's none other person who is best with the right, unique selling proposition either than me, Paul Grip Wachidangwe. And I'm number two on the ballot. Mm. Umaru, I think, I don't know, I can give you a copy of this. Oh, okay, yes. I'm not going to vote though. Yeah, but I... <laughs> I'm number two. I'm number two on the ballot. Okay. On, on, on Saturday, you go to New, um, New Tafo Presby, um, the compound, you just need to look at me, number two on the ballot. Vote massively. Vote massively. Young people need jobs. Young people need opportunities. People need development. People are weary. Every single day, people are weary. You need to ensure that you have a representative on the floor of the house, especially the ninth parliament. Mm-hmm. And this parliament, this eighth parliament, has given us an indication that parliament is a strong instrument in the value chain of governance. Mm-hmm. You need someone who can catch the elder speaker you need someone who can articulate very well you need someone who can advocate very well you need someone who can be able to lobby ministers appointees of government to bring development into your constituency you need someone who is not just going to rely on the common fund but you need someone who has extensive network that can be able to bring those extensive networks into the constituency and i think that none other person than paul gribachidankwa is the right person there are four of you are going against the incumbent usually they say that when there are so many people going against an incumbent they split the votes and the incumbent wins have you not considered that calculation i, I don't think i don't think that um I mean, you know they are in, in, in these dynamics they are strong candidates, they are weak candidates. I mean I think that is the the evidence is clear when you come to the when you come to the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the people will be able to tell you that I'm one of the foremost strongest candidates against the MP. One and, of the and the thing that goes candidates. for you would be when people enter the booth the key thing they should remember for you is they should vote for you is that what? That I will create a lot more jobs for young people, opportunities for young people. I'll bring a lot more development into the constituency. I'll bring an out-of-the-box innovative ideas into the constituency. So the constituency revives and breathes, breathes healthily. A constituency that breathes healthily is a living organism, not a constituency that does not breathe. What are the delegates saying to you as you went around? 
the delegates have stated that they have always waited for me they have stated that palgrave where have you been all these years we've waited for you you have the exact tenants and abilities and capacity and professionalism as your uncle dr jb Dankwedu, who took care of us took care of orphans paid our school fees made sure that we lived a very healthy life yesterday my cousin called me from america and said when you win this seat i want you to spend one day in the room and let the people remember you when you die that they were born for three days explain that he means i should work hard i should love the people i should develop them such that when i am gone in my old age the town will cry for three days because they have lost someone significant and that's what i'm going to do the rest of my life from age 40 as it has been from 17 has been an age of public service from age 40 is an intentional dedicated life to impact people that's what I'm going to do with my life. Impact people. Impact people. From children to adults to mothers to fathers to grandmothers to granduncles to impact them. That's what we are bringing in. So if you are sick, we would have, we would pay for your medical bills. Bring you into Kofuria. Bring you into Rage for you to see specialists. Bring you to Kolebu. And that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing the people. I'm even exposing the people a lot more into other avenues. We're creating jobs not just in the constituency, but also out of the constituency. Very well. Pargrave Bwachi Dankwa, NPP parliamentary aspirant, or parliamentary candidate aspirant for Ibuakwa North constituency in the Eastern Region. Thank you for joining us on Premier. Wish you all the best. We'll be following the results on Saturday. Thank and you, if you if you if you excel, we'll call you and congratulate When I excel, Ivaro, yeah. I will bring you the victory here. And we'll, we'll buy white powder and and, and city is home. Thank you. Yes, indeed, city is home. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much, bro. And wish you all the best. Thank you. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. On Saturday, CTFM and CDTV will be on the grounds in all the constituencies and bringing you the results as and when they come through. My name is Umaru Sandamadu. This has been Eyewitness News. I did this with Eno Safo. Production by Kobna Wilson, Beverly London, and Sami Wiafe. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. New media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973. City 97.3 Accra.